Welcome one, welcome all, to the latest edition of The Global in the Granite State, a production of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. My name is Tim Horgan, and I am the Executive Director of the Council, as well as your host for this monthly series. A lot is going on at WACNH these days, so I'm a bit late in posting this, but it does not diminish my excitement to share this story out with our wonderful community. If this is your first time listening, thank you for taking an interest. We hope you become one of our longtime listeners, as we love hearing about people coming back for more. If you have listened before, thank you so much for coming back to this great discussion. Before we dive in, I want to thank everyone who has helped to make this program possible, from the listeners to the donors, sponsors, and members. We do this for you because your engagement demands it. If you enjoy our program here or any of our other programs, we humbly invite you to join our global community through a donation or membership today. If every listener donated just $5, that would help transform the organization into an even more robust provider of global conversations. Learn more at wacnh.org. Speaking of supporters, I wanted to make sure we thank our Global in the Granite State sponsor, McLean Middleton. McLean Middleton is one of New England's premier full-service law firms with over 100 attorneys throughout offices in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. McLean Middleton's attorneys have been providing trusted legal services to businesses throughout the region for over 100 years. Learn more at McLean.com. Your ongoing support is a model for community-engaged organizations that help prepare our communities for the global future. Thank you. Today, we are taking a little bit of a break from the doom and gloom of global affairs to bring you an inspiring story of global connections from right here in New Hampshire. BLI Global is an amazing example of what can happen when people of diverse backgrounds come together to change the world. I invite you to learn more about this amazing organization through this episode. Let's get to it. BLI Global is Better Living Initiatives Global, short for BLI Global, and we do a lot of environment work within the communities. So we started out doing children's books, as well as water and sanitation, and we are hoping to expand in doing other socially responsible activities. And our mission really is to inspire others to do good, but also we want to help promote sustainability and empowering people in communities. That is Maria Horn, co-founder and CEO of BLI Global, an international grassroots nonprofit organization based in Claremont, New Hampshire. I came across their work a couple of months ago and was excited to learn about a new organization working globally and connecting the state to the world. With many people in the state unaware of our global connections, not any of you, of course, as longtime listeners of this great program, but the story behind how BLI Global came to New Hampshire is quite interesting. 
Yes, yeah, so we actually started out in Uganda. I think it was maybe more than six years ago now. And that's where I was doing a lot of the education for children on what is climate action, what is climate change, and the environmental awareness side of it. And then when I met my husband, I moved over to the States and we decided to incorporate the nonprofit here in 2020. So we've actually been operating actively in the States since 2020, but the nonprofit has been around for a while. This is where my husband resided when we met. So basically our office is also in Claremont and we have a home office here. So that's why we chose Claremont. I don't think it was like, oh, we should go and live here or it just happened to me. The transition has been slow, mainly because I've also been transitioning from a Ugandan lifestyle to an American lifestyle, and that is a process in itself. But with regards to the reception from the community, it has actually been good. We've got a lot of support from foundations that are really interested in the kind of work we're doing. And the community itself, unfortunately, I feel like there isn't enough awareness about certain topics like climate change, the environment, and how the community can be a part of engaging in dialogues like that. So that's something that we are hoping to facilitate along the way. It is wonderful that they have decided to make New Hampshire their home base for outreaching to the world and creating solutions for communities in need, while also educating people along the way. It seems like a great compliment to the work that the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire is doing and provides people with a wonderful opportunity to foster new international connections. So where are some of the places they are doing their work today? Some of the countries that we have work that we are doing or programs we are doing are Uganda, where I'm from, obviously. We also have a project in Nigeria. It's called Data for Wash. And what that does is the first phase of that program is mapping out the different areas that need help or assistance with water and sanitation issues. And that is a project that kind of blew up in a way because our initial focus was Nigeria. And then we got a lot of interest from other young people in different parts of the world that wanted to be a part of identifying problem areas in their countries. So we do have a map that shows the different locations that need assistance. And right now we are on the second phase, which is uh, mapping out the solution. So what do the communities actually need? Do they need wells? Do they need sanitation systems and who are we supposed to work with or who would be the ideal stakeholders that we can work with to help address those problems. And then we also have what is called the Global Youth Climate Action Fund. And that one, like as the name says, is we have projects that we have financed in different parts of the world. So so we have a project that we financed here in the States, and then we have two in Latin America, I think three or four in Africa, and three in South Asia. So the way that BLI Global works is we design the programs, and then 
the programs determine or sort of help us determine which countries or which regions we will be actively engaged in because some countries and some regions have different needs. So it really depends on what the program scope is. Speaking of their programs, one of the coolest things this organization is up to is the James the Steward comic book. They created in partnership with the Rural Environmental Sustainability Institute to help children around the world between the ages of 5 to 12 better understand the challenges the world faces in terms of climate change. They have also found this project to have value even beyond climate education. So James Stewart is actually a project that we are doing in partnership with another NGO in Uganda called Rural Environmental Sustainability Initiative, which is short for RASAI. And the idea for that book came from what I was previously speaking about is how to get the community involved. And we thought that storytelling is a really powerful tool, especially for young children to understand complex issues or to bring challenges that they see into a more simplified format. And because children are kind of like the next leaders, we wanted to help introduce them to what climate change is, why they should be aware about taking care of the environment. The flip side of that is that once we started going into the schools, doing the reading rooms, because one of the components of the project is going into the schools and having reading sessions with the children, is that we ended up learning more from the children than we were actually teaching them, which was really good. So it kind of gives us hope that children are actually brilliant and they are maybe ahead of the game than some of us are. So that was a very good experience. And one of the other things that we are trying to do with the James Stewart storybook is because it's broken down into different phases. So it's kind of like an adventure of children and how they go through the different challenges that life throws them in regards to climate change and how they address that. We also realized that because in some developing countries, English isn't a first language, so there is the literacy aspect of it. And we decided to break down the first book into a level one book for children who are learning English. So in that way, both also tackling the literacy aspect of it. And then finally is we do hope to do a animation, but that's a project that's down the road. But yeah, we got a lot of good support from people here, but also around the world because we were able to sell the book to raise funds in different places, Australia, Europe, Canada, and that kind of gave us the momentum to keep on going, which is good. This project has also been eye-opening for Maria and the team, as they've been able to see how children are coming up with solutions based on their own lived experiences and realities. What works in one country, as we all know, does not necessarily transfer well to another. A lot of them were talking about growing their own gardens instead of going to the market to purchase groceries they can grow their own food, which I thought was really interesting. And maybe, I guess there's like a slight difference when it comes to 
children in Uganda as opposed to children living here is that there they kind of have enough room to do gardens. And also another plus is that the school provides school gardens so they can go and plant their own crops, vegetables, and take that home if they want to. And also at home, they have plenty of land to do that. Whereas here, there is a challenge of the space. Where are you going to do it? And if you do, how much practically can you actually grow? This is a great lesson for all of us to keep in mind as we consider our engagement with the world, as well as illustrates why it is so important to have diverse voices in the room where decisions are being made. Without local knowledge and understanding, forcing a one-size-fits-all solution is doomed to fail. They have also seen a bright spot, and come on, we all need a few more bright spots these days, in that the children they are working with are actually optimistic about the future. They're actually positive about the future, but I think it's also the messaging, how you tell the story or how you break down the messaging, because if you start talking to them from a doomsday. I know I kind of sound cliche, but if you start talking to them from a doomsday perspective, then they definitely would be frightened. But because the book goes through this challenge and then figures out a solution. So that kind of sets a tone for the children because they're like, oh, so, you know, we can actually solve this or find a solution. It's not like it's the end of the world. And if we change our ways, then that's going to contribute to changing the outcome. Another bright spot for this organization, and the world as a whole, is their Youth Investment Fund initiative. Working with young people around the world, they aim to provide the support and leverage community voices to tackle the climate challenge from a new perspective. While not always easy to get funding for a project like this, BLI has committed to making it happen. The fund is actually a baby at the moment. Um, it was birthed last year, actually. That's when we started it as an initiative. And now we just registered it as a foundation. But the idea of the fund is because I attended a lot of UNFCCC, that's like the upcoming climate change conferences. And I felt like they were talking a lot about what needs to be done. But the young people there were not impressed or were disappointed by the outcomes because they have incredible ideas and solutions. But because this climate conference is more about policy than it is about the practical solutions, they felt like there was a gap, something missing. I also saw it too, so I decided to start this fund with a couple of my colleagues and figure out where we would get the money. <laughs> the idea was to start the fund and then figure out how to get the funding. And luckily, we got a huge donation from one of the foundations here, and we were able to give out grants to 10 projects, so 10 grassroots organizations. And the fund really targets young people at the grassroots, because that's where the most impact will be felt. It's really the community and engaging people at the grassroots level that I feel will have the most impact because they're the ones who feel it the most. And so this year is when we distributed the grants to the different organizations. 
And I think one of the things we learned is that there is a hunger for young people to do more. Young people are eager to do more. And I feel like there's not enough attention or enough support financially given to young people. They give them a lot of press and publicity and time to talk and speaking engagements. But I feel like at the end of the day, if you really want to support young people, back them financially and see what they do. And what they have done is pretty impressive to this point. We have had some great results. Like two of the projects that came back, one in Peru, they are doing a sustainable agriculture in one of the communities. And they said they were really like they liked the idea that we were willing to support them because they had tried to apply to a number of other grants and opportunities out there and they weren't able to get that. And also one of the things we try to do is make the application process as simple as possible so that they don't feel like it's a barrier to get the funds because that's one of the challenges that they faced. And then there is another one that just concluded in Vanuatu, and it provides solar panels to a school because they didn't have electricity there for the kids to study. And so we thought this was a great idea for them to be able to provide that lighting so the kids can actually study and maybe, you know, have a better future. Coming from the U.S., it always amazes me that something seemingly so simple as turning on the lights and having access to electricity is a struggle for many around the world. I recently heard of an amazing story where a country was rationing electricity, and so there were rolling blackouts across the country. However, they kept forgetting to shut things off in one region. That region saw an economic boom due to the reliable access of this critical input, until the government realized their mistake and shut off the power. In areas like this, solar energy can create an amazing change in people's lives, and I am honored to live in a state that helps to facilitate this opportunity for students in the small Pacific Island nation. With connections to people and programs around the world, one might rightfully wonder, how are they staying in touch with their grantees and ensuring the projects are successful? We have a team that's also global. So we have someone in Peru, he's a communications manager, and then we have two programs associates, one in Uganda and one here in the States. And then we have a storytelling person and an IT person in Nepal and the Philippines. So we kind of have that global mindset. And then we also have reporting mechanism for those who receive the grants. You have to show us that you've actually used the money for what it's intended to. And we also request them to send photos, pictures of what they've done so that we can see. And we also try to get references from the grantees to make sure that they're actually doing a good job. So, and also, I guess another thing I forgot to mention is that we do have a youth fund board and the responsibility of the board is really to vet the projects and to make sure that the organizations receiving the fundings are actually genuine and need the funding. So we don't make the decision unilaterally. We have a team that does that. While they have a global reach, there's some great benefits 
to having incorporated the nonprofit here in New Hampshire? I think being in New Hampshire has been very eye-opening and has opened up a lot of doors and opportunities for us to do more. And I mean, it's a well-known fact that even just being in the United States, you are opened up to a lot of opportunities. And anyone who is looking at a nonprofit that's operating in the U.S. holds them to a certain standard. And so we always try to maintain that standard, you know, knowing that the donations you provide can be tax deductible and that you're actually doing work in the community. I think that's important because there's a lot of other organizations out there that don't do that. And that can really harm an organization's reputation. So I think that it's really good. And I'm really grateful to be here. I've learned a lot, not just about nonprofit, how to run a nonprofit, but also the financial side of it, the legal side of it, making sure you submit your reports on time, managing boards and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been really nice and eye-opening. This is not to say that it has been easy for them. They started their global work from New Hampshire in 2020, right as the pandemic was ramping up and things were shutting down. It forced them to come at their work in a different way than anticipated, something we all know very well from our own experiences. Yeah, it was quite a challenge. And we had to pivot because that was around the time when we were just launching the first book of James the Steward. And we really had wanted to go out into the schools and do the reading rooms. But then because of the pandemic, we couldn't. And so we decided to do virtual reading room sessions. And thankfully, we got a donation from one of the organizations. They helped us to provide funding to do the reading rooms and also publish the book and provide it to schools at no cost. So that really helped a lot. And I think pivoting was really critical in that sense, because if we hadn't thought about doing it that way, then we, I don't think we would have grown as much because we learned a lot from that, and especially with our partners as well. So that really helped us. It also, I mean, We were introduced to Zoom and how Zoom can be a good resource for connecting with people even outside of the U.S. and in the different parts of the world. The name of the organization that supported us was Our Kids Climate. And they're actually a really good resource for organizations that are looking to work with young people or families or children who want to understand what climate change is. This great New Hampshire-based organization has some ambitious goals ahead of them, including expanding their programs to include the United States. Of course, climate change impacts us all, and it is important that everyone works towards global reductions, so the U.S. cannot be forgotten in this work. I started out with the global mindset of helping other people from countries such as myself, but we definitely do want to do programs in the U.S. And we have actually a couple of programs designed for the U.S. specifically. So it's not something that's out of the equation, but also at the same time, the U.S. does have a lot of resources that communities can tap into to address challenges. They have rebate programs for energy and housing programs. 
And these are things that you're not going to easily find in developing countries. So while uh, people in developing countries have to depend on their government, their governments aren't able to provide as much resources to everyone like you will find here in the States. And I think that's one of the reasons why I decided to do something is because I felt the need to do something, even if it's small, in communities that need it. I want to thank Maria Horn for taking the time to share the story of another great international connection for the state of New Hampshire. They join a vibrant community of nonprofits and businesses that are working hard to make positive change in the world from the Granite State. Similar to how many people do not see how global events do impact their lives, many Granite Staters are unaware of these great global connections being made every day. It is our goal to uncover these connections, stories, and benefits that are driving our world and shaping lives at home and abroad. This has been The Global in the Granite State, a podcast of the World Affairs Council of New Hampshire. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our global discussions and engaging with our programs. If you have enjoyed our efforts, we humbly ask that you support our work through a donation or by joining our membership. We need your support in order to keep things running and the doors open. Find out more at wacnh.org. As always, the producer, audio engineer, host, editor, promoter, content creator, and just all-around good guy is Tim Horgan. Our intro music continues to be admin by A.A. Elzo, and our interlude music is Tacopia by Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening. Until next time.